Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 9 this morning. Luke chapter 9. And as we are just getting ready, getting our hearts ready, I just want to take a second to uh, encourage you to come out tonight for the Night Glow. Um, I'm just kind of watching, as I hope you are, how the Lord is working in our church. And one of the areas that I see the Lord doing, it kind of ties in with our study today, is just helping us to be more comfortable with the work of the Holy Spirit. Not just great Bible studies or great events and these things. Without the power of God, we're not really seeing a work of God. We're just running a church. And that's not why we're here. So encourage you to come out. I also just want to say thank you for continuing to pray and to serve and to give. We're seeing this, the church giving come up each month, each month as we're just getting stronger in many ways, spiritually, financially, uh, the events we're doing. And uh, I just want to take a second, pray for our study and for the offering here this morning as we get into Luke 9. Lord, thank you for the way that you're just continuing to strengthen this church. And we desire, Lord, just to see what you're doing and to respond. Not to just be watching, but to be sharing in the work that you're doing. And Lord, we just ask that you would bless the funds that your people are giving. Um, they're giving at so many different times through the week, whether it's here or during the week through online or the app. Lord, it's all we remember part of worship. Our tithes and offerings are worship. They're not just a financial function. And we just pray and commit those funds for your work. And even as the loaves and fishes, it always feels like it's not enough. But we ask, Lord, that you would bless it and break it and multiply it for the work we ask in your name. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. I feel like Luke 9 is exactly where we are as a church because Jesus is, is taking the disciples farther into their training and he is helping them to become more and more comfortable with the work of his power and his glory to experience it more. And I believe that's exactly what God always wants to do in our lives. But as we are getting a sense of how God is going to work in this church. We're here. The church has moved here from out at Deaver Connor, been through COVID, has been through a name change. You've got a new pastor who is really awesome. <laughs> now, our church, when I am out talking with other pastors, and uh, that reminds me and ask you to pray for me this week because uh, on Thursday, I'm going to Georgia, and I'll be meeting with uh, a whole group of pastors in Georgia to do some pastoral coaching and training there. And um, so when I tell others about how God is working here, I realize all that this church has been through. And at the same time, I kind of don't always remember all the challenges because I see all the great things that God is doing. I see the new work that God is doing here. And I don't feel like we're, we are overcoming all of these problems and challenges because I see the excitement in this church. 
but it's amazing to tell other pastors and, and other people how God is working. But absolutely, if God is going to work in the way that he desires to work, it has to be a work of the Spirit. And so often we look at the work and we say, well, I can do that, or I can't do that. And we judge whether God is going to work by our abilities. And I guarantee you, whatever God wants to do, we don't have the capacity for it. How is that for comforting words today? Whatever God wants to do, it's bigger than our natural gifts, our capacities. It doesn't matter how brilliant or how experienced you are. And if all we were able to do is pull off our best, that would be pretty pathetic. Say amen. I don't want my best. I have seen my best, and it's not that great. And the sooner we're all able to just admit that, then the sooner we're okay to say, Lord, what do you want to do? And it also makes it easier for us to fit together because then there shouldn't be any egos because we all admit that we're pathetic. Nobody said amen. We're all on the same playing field. We all know that we're not adequate for the work that the Lord wants to do. So it becomes about who the Lord is and not about who we are. We're not promoting ourselves. We're just seeing what the Lord wants to do. And we just get to tell people, here's what God's doing. And that makes it exciting for all of us to be a part of. In this passage... Luke 9, 27 to 42, we're going to see the importance of prayer. The importance of prayer. The only thing the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them was how to pray. Did you know that? Have you ever heard that before? Think of all the things that they watched him do. Teach, heal, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, And yet the only thing that's recorded in the Gospels where they went to Jesus and asked him to teach them something was how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. It's probably because they could see the direct connection between his private prayer life and the public ministry that he had. He would go aside to pray spend time with his father, and then go out and demonstrate the power of God. We can't goof off all the time and then say, God, use my life. There's plenty of time for goof off, okay? But we have to prepare ourselves when it's time to go and do the work of the ministry. So we have two stories And these two stories couldn't be more opposite in their experience. The first one is what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Follow with me. I'm going to read verses 27 through 36. Jesus said, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, 
that he took Peter, John, and James, went up on a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Verse 32, but Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. You know how you say you're going to go pray and you fall asleep? You are just like Peter, James, and John. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles or tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, Peter, shut up. Oh, it says that in my translation. This is my beloved son, hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of these things had happened. Now, Jesus has just said to the disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me. We looked at that last week. And then he says, but there are some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Now, over the years, people have thought, or the, some in the early church, they thought, well, Jesus was going to return before all the disciples died. When Jesus said, some of you are going to see the, the kingdom of God. But that's not really what it meant because they all died. And what it likely meant is that Jesus was then going to take Peter, James, and John and show them his glory. Some of you are going to see the glory of the kingdom of God. And that was Peter, James, and John. And there are three interesting things about this story that I just read for you. Number one, that Jesus took them aside to pray. But what did they do? They slept. Jesus took them aside to pray, but they slept. The second thing is that Moses and Elijah appeared to discuss his decease or literally his exodus, his departure, which interesting, he says he would accomplish at Jerusalem, not it would happen to him. So what is all of that speaking about? It's talking about the cross. His exodus from this earth would happen at Jerusalem on the cross. So they were privileged to be hearing the plans about the cross, but they were sleeping. They were sleeping. And thirdly, when they woke, they didn't listen. Peter starts yammering. Peter starts talking. You know, prayer involves us sharing a bit, but it also involves listening. 
It's hard for me to listen in prayer because I have so many things I think God needs to hear. But prayer is simply a conversation. If you're not familiar with prayer or haven't made it, you know, a regular part of your life, I don't want you to overthink it. Don't turn prayer into some ritual or some formula. You don't even have to change your tone of voice. Just speak in a regular, it's like God saying, why are you yelling at me? (laughs) Prayer is just a word for talking with God. You can do it even silently. I think so often we don't realize the importance of prayer. We don't realize what is being accomplished in prayer. And sometimes it just feels hard, doesn't it? If you've ever tried to make prayer a regular part of your your day or your week, it just often feels so hard to get started. But if you can manage to stay there long enough, you will be glad you did. Because once you're finished with a time of prayer, and again, it, it, it doesn't have to be an hour for it to be effective. It could be a few minutes. And you don't want to get caught up in thinking, well, I'll only take time to pray if I can pray for an hour. Or if I can pray for 30 minutes. Don't kind of set up these rules to prove that you're really spiritual, because guess what you're not? You remember the pathetic part we started with? You're not very spiritual. And even two or three minutes of sincere prayer is better than five minutes or an hour of of insincere, routine, repetitious prayer. I'd rather have a few minutes with one of my grandkids where they're actually looking at me when we're talking than an hour spent with them while they're on a video game. The most important thing is that you are actually connecting with the Lord, that he has your heart. Not that you're just performing some ritual that, to make yourself feel good that you checked prayer off the box that day. That's not effective prayer. Jesus took these three guys aside so that they would see things and learn things. And all they had to do was sit there and be quiet. When they woke up, they didn't listen. Peter starts talking, which is his spiritual gift. To start thinking He knows something that he really doesn't know. Do you know that about Peter? Some of you have this gift. And it's a general rule in ministry that success breeds overconfidence. I've known too many people who were really used by God. And because of it, they thought they had something to tell everybody about how they should be doing things. But how God wants to work in each of your lives is a little different. 
If God works in my life, it's not my job to be correcting every little thing about your lives. I'm teaching you the Bible, you know, sharing things about how God might work. And here's some things we need to pay attention to. But Peter has a pattern of talking when he should be listening. And the other guys let him get away with it. And so I love how the father says, Peter, shut up. That's literally what he's saying. Peter, this is my son. Maybe you would be better off to just listen to my son instead of telling him what to do. Jesus doesn't need us to tell him what to do. So what's the point of prayer if it's not for us to inform God? We'll see at the end of my message that Jesus will say, your father already knows what you need before you even ask him. And the primary purpose of prayer is for us to get our hearts in line with God. Not for God to get his heart in line with you. And so spending time with him is for you to line up with his will. We'll see that in a few minutes. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Now, this experience did greatly affect these men. And Peter writes about this later in 2 Peter. He writes about being eyewitnesses to the glory of God. And he writes about then being absolutely confident in the inspiration of God's word and that we would do well to listen to God's word. Peter learned the lessons. He got there eventually. But his confidence in the power of God's word really, really came home to Peter's spiritual growth. What happens next is fascinating because here is this amazing experience on what we call as the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is transfigured and shows his power and his glory to Peter, James, and John. And then these four are going to come down the mountain and find out what the other disciples are doing. And that's the next story. Let's pick up at verse 37. Now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. And suddenly a man, a man from the multitude cried out saying, teacher, I implore you look on my son for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it departs and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. Verse 40. So I implored your employed, implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. And then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. I especially love the end of that sentence, that Jesus cast the demon out, healed the boy, but I love how it says, 
that Jesus gave the son back to his father. Kind of a picture of healing families. Gave the son back to his father. This is classic contrast to what we would say is a mountaintop experience. We say that, man, I had this amazing mountaintop experience. That was the women's retreat last weekend. You get away. Yeah, I was there. It was awesome. (laughs) Kind of. I was in the region (laughs) down in Newport. But when we get away from the routines and the pressures, we have time with the Lord. Maybe it's a retreat or a missions trip or something. We have these experiences like Peter, James, and John got aside, and we had an experience with the Lord. Did you ladies have that? Awesome. And then you have to come home. Dishes are not done. You want to cast a few kids out, right? And when they come down the mountain, the other disciples are faced with a problem that they can't face. A man brings his demon-possessed boy to the other disciples, expecting them to be able to help him. Now, why did the father expect the other disciples to be able to help his son? It's a simple question. Because they were Jesus' disciples. And you see, the rule is that the disciples should be like their teacher, We saw that earlier in Luke. I think that was chapter six. You and I, you and I, and pointing one finger at you and four back at me, we are disciples of Jesus. It means we're becoming like him. And it means whether you like it or not, when people look at you, they're saying, do I see Jesus? And they're even hoping that if they get into trouble, you might be able to help them. No pressure. Now, does that mean you and I are expected to heal someone or cast out a demon? No, because I haven't been gifted with those spiritual gifts. Maybe you haven't either, but the disciples were. But absolutely every one of you have been gifted with spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about this tonight. At night glow. And that means in the areas that you have been equipped, you should be able to use those gifts to help people around you. You should be ready knowing exactly the gifts that you have. You should be empowered. You should have been someone who's prayed up and ready in the moment because there's no warning ahead of time. When suddenly somebody needs you. But it's interesting that this man completely expected the disciples to be able to do. I brought him to my son to your disciples and Jesus, they're kind of pathetic. And you know what? Jesus goes, you're absolutely right. How long do I have to put up with you? I want to be ready for exactly, exactly what the Lord calls me to do. And frankly, I know I've been in ministry a long time. I know what my gifts are. And quite often, I still feel like maybe I can't do this. 
I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Now, that's just, that's just me looking at myself, and I'll, 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 I know that the Lord's going to enable me to do whatever I have to do. But that's a normal reaction to think, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. And then you go in faith, and you use the gifts God's given you, and you do it, and you say, wow, that was completely the Lord, whatever you had to do. I was just with my family this week. My brother-in-law passed away uh, a few weeks ago, my sister's husband, and they, I, I was on call to come and do the service. Just uh, Thursday, I was in Redlands, California, and I'm thinking, I can do this. I'm talking to myself, Terry, you can do this. But it's still my family and my nieces and nephews and with my, my sister and my other sister is there. And you just kind of feel inadequate for the job sometimes. And then the Lord does what he always does. And, and the Lord does far above and beyond what we could ever ask or think. All around us, I believe in Albany, are people who need help. Uh, I don't even have to pray about that one to know that that's true. There's people around us that need help. There are people around us that have, are so far away from God and they're trapped, whether in drugs or, you know, we don't always know if we're ever going to talk to somebody and how kind of ensnared they are in things of Satan or demonic activities, but it happens around us. Uh, just a week ago, we were driving down the street on my way to Starbucks, which is a frequent scenario. And I noticed that across, coming across the a crosswalk was a woman with a couple of grocery sacks and a man was harassing her and grabbing at her and grabbing at her bags and I suddenly realized this is, this is a dangerous situation. I stopped, rolled down my window, and I said, do you need help? And this woman was like panicked. We don't know what to do. And he wouldn't leave her alone. My wife and her superpower jumped out of the car and physically pushed that man off of that woman. Because you see, grandmas have superpowers. I'm, I'm thinking, what are you doing? <laughs> but that young woman was like one of our daughters. We have three daughters. And, and then we went home and she bragged all our grandkids that I wrestled to the ground a homeless man, a home and demon possessed man. And uh, you've got to be ready on the spot. I'm afraid of her now. I should be. In our pretty society, it's easy to forget that we are facing sometimes demonic activity. It's not safe around us. And that you are, are enabled with spiritual abilities to discern things to see things, to say a word here and there. And I believe that God wants to just work through us. 
And I have no idea or formula to tell you this is how it's going to work. But I do know that as you become more comfortable with prayer, you will see God work through your life. And the, the goal of all of that, the point of all of that, is to see people delivered from darkness and come into the light of, the, of, of Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's happening all around us. I just want to be ready. Jesus is getting the disciples more and more comfortable with spiritual power. But they slept while he prayed. They talked rather than listened. And they were fearful rather than believing. They were fearful in the cloud of God's glory. When they came down, those disciples were fearful. And it's recorded in Matthew 17 that Jesus said to the disciples after the the son was helped, Jesus said to them, this kind or this kind of demon only goes out by prayer and fasting. In other words, you weren't able to deal with this because you haven't been praying. The key to power is prayer. And I think often we avoid prayer because it is so powerful. It's, it's sometimes easier just to open my Bible, read a few verses and close it and go, God help me today. Read a quick devotional and move on. But if you're going to take five, ten minutes to pray, there's something that happens when you go into that space that it can sometimes be kind of intense. And it can become so intense that you avoid it. You, you, you get uncomfortable being in that place. I want to encourage you to start getting more comfortable with that. Nothing weird is going to happen there. God's not going to do something to you or take over and make you do anything weird. He's just going to hear you and you're going to hear from him. You're going to experience peace. You're going to become more aware of his presence. And when you go out from those times of prayer, you're going to have a greater confidence to go through your day. And if this is newer for you, do it like two minutes. Read read a little bit of scripture and, and say, you know, just a couple of minutes. Don't, don't, put so much pressure on you that if it wasn't an hour, it didn't count. And the more you do it, the more you'll be comfortable with it. The more you'll be aware of what the Lord wants to do. Jesus gave the disciples a simple model of prayer. I want you to turn to Matthew six, and we're going to look at what we call the Lord's prayer. The Lord's Prayer. This is a simple model of prayer. This is not intended to be a formula or even what you might say is a mantra. If I repeat this over and over, I'm going to get what I want or I'm going to become super spiritual. If I say this, now you can pray this prayer, and I have done it before, but again, it's not supposed to be a formula. 
that if I say these words, I suddenly get what I want. Because Jesus says, you will, again, don't be like the Pharisees, so the religious leaders who want to be seen publicly for their repetitious prayers. They think they're going to be heard because of their repetitious prayers. Now, if you look at other religions outside of a relationship with God, that is completely how they operate, by repetitious, droning prayers. That is not a relationship with God. They use that to work themselves up into sometimes an altered state of consciousness, and they think that altered state is a spiritual experience. Did you know that? What it is, is an emotional experience on the level of the soul or the psyche. It is not a spiritual experience. The only way we have spiritual experiences is by coming into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is a spiritual experience. Jesus said, in this manner, pray. Our Father in heaven, are you there in your Bibles? Why don't you read with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What is interesting, and I just want to point out to you as we finish up today, is just the parts of prayer that are here. It begins and ends with praise. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, it begins. And then it ends, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It begins and it ends with praise. And when you begin with prayer and thanksgiving, with praise and thanksgiving, it immediately shifts your mind and your heart into more of a, an expectation that God is going to answer your prayer because you're already thanking him and you're already remembering who he is rather than coming into prayer with an attitude of fear. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I just I'm getting my eyes up off of my problems. It goes into the priority of prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the purpose of prayer. It goes into praying for our provision. Give us this day our daily bread. It goes into asking for pardon. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We ask for protection. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then it ends in praise. And again, that's not a, it's not a formula. It's not like this thing that you say this over and over. But it's a model of prayer, not a formula for prayer. And I absolutely know that God wants to pour out his power 
upon our lives. And he wants us to be experiencing his presence so that through us, he's going to demonstrate that power in saving lives. It's not just for us to get excited and say, wow, I had this experience. That's not what it's about. It's about us being enabled, empowered to minister to other people around us. Let's stand together, shall we?